0: Good morning. morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'll ask you to open it up to the book of Ephesians. Give you a little ministry update. David Bain is your missionary this month. David Bain is enrolled in IRBS. I think that's how it is. International Reformed Baptist Seminary. He will graduate in December. This summer, he is doing an internship. Out in the Phoenix area, I'll be working with a church out there. There are four native tribes that all headquarter in the Phoenix area. David is going to attempt to make contact with those tribes while he's out there. That may be a place of future service for David when he graduates seminary in December. As far as myself, I am the interim pastor just across the line at the First Baptist Church of Roland, Oklahoma. The church was established in 1887. It's an old Baptist church. It's got nice facilities. We just lack people. We're down to about 10 or 12 people. And um, the church hasn't had a pastor since 2016. So I'm there to help get them back on track and work with them. And uh, so be praying for us as we work in that ministry. The other part of my ministry, as mentioned earlier, the Preachers of Grace Conference. That'll be held July the 13th through the 16th here at Lee Creek. Uh, This will be our largest conference yet. We currently have 56 preachers registered to be here. I think the most we've had in the past is 50 right back before COVID hit. Uh, Last year, I think we had 48 or 49, so 56. Uh, The Lord continues to bless the conference. I appreciate your giving. Your giving to this ministry on a regular basis is what enables me to go to churches that run 10 or 12 and And pastor them, it's what enables us to put on the Preachers of Grace Conference. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. I couldn't do what I do if you were not supporting the work that God has called me to do. Has everybody found the book of Ephesians? Have y'all looked at that book lately? There are two types of preaching. Some would say expository and topical. I'll put them in this category. There's microscopic and telescopic preaching. Microscopic preaching drills into one or two words. You all know I can do that. I pastored here for 14 years, if you don't know, and I've been known to preach an hour on a word or two. But I want to do something this morning that'd be a little different. I want to do some telescopic preaching. I want to preach on all six chapters of the book of Ephesians. Why the long face you a little nervous, are you? <laughs> I don't blame you. But I'll confess, I've preached this once before. I was asked to preach in a Bible conference down in Vilonia, Wade Lentz's church, and I was assigned a topic of the role of the saints, the church's work. And it's real tempting just to go find a, a Bible verse about spiritual gifts or evangelism or faithfulness or service and just get up and harp on that but that doesn't take in the full realm of what a church member a child of God a Christian a believer in Jesus Christ that doesn't cover the gamut and so this morning I want to take a whole book approach I want to cover all six chapters now obviously I'm not going to read every single verse But if you've been faithful, you've been sitting under Joseph, you've been hearing the word of God preached from this book for some time now, I'm not going to say anything that's out of line. And if I do, you meet me in the parking lot after church and we'll settle it out there. Just bring your Bible and show me where I'm wrong, all right? Well, that being said, I want us to get an overview of the first chapter. Each of the chapters, I've given one point. I have a six-point message. Chapter one deals with God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. These are the responsibilities of a church member. This is the role of the saints. The first thing that you need to do as a child of God is understand that God did it all. We all are familiar and I've used the illustration many times of the little child that said it's shake and bake and I helped. It's as if some little four-year-old girl cooked a chicken meal and set it on the table when in reality, mom did all the work and this little girl just shook a Ziploc bag for five minutes and took all the credit. There is your salvation in a nutshell. Our God bore our sins on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. I'll prove what I'm saying. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. When we look at this text right here, we can say with absolute certainty, God did it all. Do we not sing Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe? Do we not say that God did it all? Then why do we take credit for it? Why do we take credit for it? Why do we tell people we're proud of the decision they made? These are things that the child of God must know. Look at verse 11 lest you be exalted above measure. Verse 11 says, God doesn't need you. Verse 11. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. God has a plan, and He's working His plan, and His plan works. I get real nervous every time somebody in church comes up and says, I've got a new idea. I kind of like the old one. It worked. The old one is what Satan's upset with. He doesn't have problems with the new plan, the new ideas, the new approach, the new techniques, the new acronyms. The old one works. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus Christ is your only option. Repent and believe on Him. Beyond that, I've got nothing for you. That's it. That's it. We'll say, Brother Harold, that won't save anybody. You're right. Unless God gets involved and intervenes on behalf of the sinner and opens blinded eyes and raises a dead man from the grave, nothing will happen. It's God that does this. The quicker that we understand who God is and what He's doing and that He has a plan and He doesn't need our input, He doesn't need our our opinions, He's not in heaven with sweaty palms and crossed fingers saying, I hope Harold comes up with something, we're in trouble. Boy, if Lee Creek don't get going, Van Buren's going to slide off into hell. God's not sitting in heaven doing that. Yet, when we look at churches today, they act as though it's not so. They act as though it's not so. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Friend, I'm not saying you don't need to preach the gospel. We'll cover that in a little bit. I'm telling you, when people believe it, it's not because you gave out hot dogs or pony rides. When people believe it, it's not because you had strong men tearing phone books in half or blowing up water bottles. If people believe it, it's because the God of our Lord Jesus Christ opened blinded eyes and granted wisdom and revelation to understand who God is. You can't force Christ on others. I got about two or three amens there. Maybe I say it again, I get six or eight, and then I'll make my next point once I get you all where I want you to be. You can't force people to believe in Jesus Christ then why do we think that passing all these religious laws is going to make us a religious country? I heard some mumbling and rumbling. And, laws don't make righteous people. Laws condemn guilty people. <laughs> Making this road 35 miles an hour doesn't make me drive It just gives you the right to punish me if I don't. Brother Harold, what's the solution? God must open eyes and give wisdom. You know what that should do? That should drive us to pray for the lost. Do you pray for the lost? Yes. (coughs) Look at verses 21 and 22. I'm talking about sovereignty in chapter 1. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, In every name that is named, talking about Christ here, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. There's a world to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. God's not just sovereign over your salvation, God's sovereign over the church in all of the happenings upon the world. God is not surprised when I tell you the child of God, the believer in Jesus Christ, the saint, if you will, your role is to understand that this is God's plan and act like it. Here's the difference. you got to act like it. How many Christians do we know stumbling and mumbling around in the world today with their bottom lips stuck out so far that they trip over it? What's the matter with you? Well, the devil's just really been after me. Boy, God didn't know about that. Have you talked to the Lord about this? Did this slide in under His will? You just don't know what I'm going through. I don't, but you're probably going to tell me. But the Lord knows. And I have this promise, and I'll share it with you. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Not some things, all things. Oh, Brother Harold, why is this happening to me? For your good and God's glory. I don't understand that. I don't either, but He said it and I believe it. He said a lot of things I don't understand. That didn't keep me from believing it. He said, I am going to declare you righteous. How do you do that? Oh, I understand the text, but I still can't believe he did it. That's the marvelous work of grace. Listen to me, Christian. Until you get chapter 1 down, you'll never properly fulfill your work as a Christian. I'm not saying you need to know the five points of Calvinism. I'm not saying you need to run around with the five solas of the Reformation tattooed across your chest. That's not understanding the sovereignty of God. Understanding the sovereignty of God is this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That will make you so strikingly different from this world around you. That will make you so different from everybody in the church down the road. That will make you so different from all the professing Christians on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and everywhere else. Because you'll get up each day and say, My God rules and I'm His child. I shall not fear what man will do to me. You give me a church full of people that understand that and live it each day, and I'll show you a group of people the world don't understand. How can you, at a time such as this, live like that? Because my God said it would be this way. I remember working at Frito-Lay back in the early 2000s, and the Channel 40 put their weather guy on the bulletin board, side of Highway 22, front of the uh, (coughs) Frito-Lay distribution center, and it had the weather guy with his finger up in the air, and it said, so-and-so said it'd be like this today. Nine times out of ten, he was wrong. It was hot when it was supposed to be cool. It was raining when it was supposed to be dry. But my God said it was supposed to be this way today, and not one time has my God forecasted the weather wrong. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And there's not one hair that falls from my head that he's not aware of and attentive to. Christian, get your mind around chapter 1. Now let's jump in chapter 2. Sovereignty, let's talk about salvation in chapter 2. Let's look first of all at man's condition. This is where salvation must start in verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. He brought you to life. You were dead. Now I was sick and sin. No, you are dead and sin. Anybody in here have to teach their kids how to do wrong? You know, when they're little and toddling around. Hey, go eat that stuff in the carpet. Anybody have to teach their kids to do that? Hey, here's a butter knife. Go play with that outlet over there. See what happens? Have I ever showed you kids how to climb on the cabinets? Did anybody have to teach their children these things? Oh, you had to teach them how to be good because they're born wanting to do bad? The Bible said so. And you by nature want what you can't have. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. So they say, it's actually pretty green on your side of the fence. You just covet the neighbor's pasture more than your own. Your condition is you're dead in trespasses and sin. Let's look at our past in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Not one of us was born perfect regardless of what your mother and grandmother said. None of us had that. As others, <clears throat> we all were born with a sinful nature. Look at verse 4. Here's the good news for a sinner like me. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. That's a big old but right there. But God. You see, I was dead. I was lost. I was just like everybody else. wasn't seeking God. I was seeking self. I was satisfying self. But God intervened on my plans, wants, and wishes. And He intervened with grace and mercy and love. You can read in between verses uh, 4 and 10. For it is by faith that you're saved, and that not of yourselves. It also is a gift of God. Faith, grace, mercy, repentance, all gifts of God. Look at verse 10. He saved us and it shows. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. (laughs) People often say, I wonder if they're saved. Well, look at them. Oh, we're not supposed to judge. No, we're looking at fruit. By their fruit you shall know them. You shall know false teachers by the way they live, the way they act. I'm not judging whether you're truly saved or you're lost. You could be the prodigal son on your way home, sick of the hog pen, ready to go back to dad's house. That could be a fact. You could be a Christian. Just you, you could. If I was looking at David when he was having his affair with Bathsheba, I'd probably judge him wrong. But here's what I would do. I would say that man needs to hear the gospel. Because whether he's a Christian uh, backslidden in sin, whether he's a lost man separated from God by unbelief, both need to hear the gospel that our God is able to forgive sin. And Christians have a job to do which God has before ordained that we should do. Brother Harold, I just want to know God's plan for my life. Get to work! My dad used to tell the, two, the story of two boys walking to school. <clears throat> they heard the bell ring that school started in five minutes and they was about ten minutes away and one boy said, hey, we ought to take our shoes off and get down here in the ditch and pray and ask God to get us to school on time. The other one said, we ought to take our shoes off and run as fast as we can while we pray to get to school on time. Now, who do you think got there on time? If you're a child of God, you've got work to do. Well, Brother Hill, I don't know what it is. If you're a mother, start by being a mother in your home. If you're a father, start by being a father in your home. If you're a child, start by being a godly child to your parents. Start where you're at. He that is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. I wish God would use me. I wish you'd use yourself and get working. Show us what you can do. Christians look like it. Christians act like it. You don't have to dangle a carrot in front of them to get them to do the things God told them to do. My parents didn't do that with me. Here's a dollar. Go clean your room. No, they said go clean your room. My parents wasn't raising a couple of brats. You think your heavenly father's raising a couple of brats, holding out for more money, wanting more perks? If he tells you to do it, you'll do it. And if you're his child and you don't do it, he'll treat you like dad treated me. What? Know ye not? Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. If he doesn't spank you, it's because you're not his kid. Now, God's not going around roughing me up all the time, but he's roughed me up a few times, and I've learned he's in control, and I've got a job to do. I don't do it begrudgingly with my bottom lip sticking out. I do it out of glory and joy because my God's chosen and saw fit to use me in His service, and I'm glad to be employed. Verse 17 the gospel's for everybody. We got a bunch of these hyper Calvinists running around scared to death some lost man might get saved. Look at verse 17. Talking about Christ. And came preaching peace to them which were far off and to them which were nigh. Jesus didn't say you, not you, you, not you, you, not you. Jesus didn't say all the elect give me your ears. Jesus preached and said let he that hath ears to hear let him hear. We should do the same thing. 20, verse 20, we're part of a building that dates back to Christ. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Our salvation comes from Christ who is our salvation. When Christ came out of the wilderness, 40 days of temptation, the Bible says, and he went forth preaching the kingdom. That's our example to go forth doing the same. You're not well versed in the gospel You're not ever going to share the gospel Brother Harold I just don't know what to say Read chapter 2 of Ephesians every day You'll come up with something Start off by this Tell them they're dead They're still listening by the time you get to verse 3 I got good news Verse 4 says our God's going to intervene You don't really have to learn much, but verse 2, I've found, that usually ends a lot of gospel conversations. But the only way we get anybody to verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 9 is if we start off in verse 1. The problem that we're dealing with in our day is we have a ton of people who profess Christ but never go out and profess the gospel to lost people. Oh, I wonder what I should be doing. Start by sharing the gospel. If you're not interested in the gospel, it's because you don't believe it. I love to tell the story for those that know it best, seem hungering and thirsting, to hear it like the rest. I remember a couple left here one time when I was pastor. They left and said, well, all he does every Sunday is preach the gospel. I was like, yes! Victory is mine! I've done what I came to do! You know what I've found? Those that believe the gospel show up every Sunday and say, give us another dose of what you gave us last week. Oh, no, i got a new series that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Now, we don't want that. Bring us the book. Open up the book. Tell us how Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Tell us that story again, preacher. You're not interested in the gospel. You don't believe it. Christian, study chapter 2 before you go any further. Understand the gospel. Understand who you were before Christ saved you and understand what you must do now that you belong to him. Sovereignty, salvation, the spirit. Verse 3, chapter 3, point number 3. I'm glad I lined all these numbers up. The Spirit, chapter 3, primarily deals with the role of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. I want to start in verses 4 and 5 and talk about an inspired book. Verse 4, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I don't know if Paul knew he was writing Scripture here, but I knew this, Paul wrote it down so that the church at Ephesus could read it. And the purpose of the reading was to understand the mystery of Christ. Look at this, verse 5, this is key. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto us by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that inspired men to write. It is the Spirit of God that preserved those writings. And it is the Spirit of God that illuminates our mind and enables us to understand what is written. Friends, we have a book. It's the Bible. We ought to spend our time reading what the Spirit inspired men to write for us. When we understand that this is given by God, Joseph's got a ton of books in his office. I had a ton of books in my office. When come time to move my office to the house, I was like, "I don't need this many books." I gave away all sorts of books. Last preachers of grace, I gave away bookshelves full of books. I didn't give away all my Bibles. Won't need them no more. Read through that one once. Oh, I've read that one before. You can give that one away. I did that a lot with the books on my shelf, but I read this one and try to read it every day. I never felt led to give it away. never said, oh, I've read this story before. It's a living book. Why? It was given by the Spirit of God. The Spirit gave us the Bible. Until you understand that, you'll never value the Bible. Verse 7, the Spirit gives us gifts. Look at verse 7 with me. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure. That's in chapter 4. I want to be in verse 7 of chapter 3. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. wonder what the effectual working of His power is. The Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings these things about. And it was the Spirit that gave Paul the gift of grace to do the ministry that was exclusive to him. It's the Spirit that gifts us all to do individual things. Look at verse 16. It's the same Spirit that strengthens us to do what we've been called or gifted to do. Verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The spirit strengthens the believer in the inner man. doesn't give me superhuman strength. I'm not Samson. I can't go pick up the front of somebody's car and put a block under it but it can fortify me to withstand the evils of the devil. It can fortify me to live for Christ every day of the week. It can fortify me to resist temptation. It can fortify me to serve Him with a pure heart. The Spirit of God strengthens the believer. So it gives us a book. It gives us gifts. It strengthens us, verses 18 and 19. It gives us understanding. Look at verses 18 and 19. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Friend, listen to me. The Spirit of God, according to these two verses, fills us and gives us an understanding to comprehend with all the saints. You're not getting some special revelation that everybody else didn't get. You're getting the ability to understand what God's already said. Have any of you ever said this or heard someone say this? I read the Bible, but I don't understand it. Or I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. This, this kind of spooks me when I hear someone say this. This is a spiritual book. It's spiritually understood. And if you don't have the Spirit, you might as well go read Chinese. This is a book written for believers. And it teaches the believer... How to live in this world and serve his God. And it teaches the believer that his God's coming back and that one day he'll right all the wrong in this earth and we can trust in him. Because we've seen his, his power to do it over and over and over in the history of our God. And when someone reads the book and they don't understand it, that makes me wonder: do you have the spirit? You say, yeah, preacher, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Then get down on your knees and beg your God to help you understand the book He gave to you. Have you ever been misunderstood? Wasn't that frustrating? No, I don't think you're understood. I'm a Baptist preacher. Have you ever been misunderstood? You know, when I, before I preach, I usually end up praying something along the same lines. Father, take control of my mind and help me to think about the text you've called me to preach. Then I usually say something like, Lord, give me discernment about what to say and what not to say. I say, fill me with your spirit that I may say what the people need to hear. And then I pray for you. And God, help them to understand what I say and the manner in which I mean it. Because a lot of times people say, I like Harold's stuff, I just don't like his tone. That's cold talk for, I really don't like what he said, but I can't argue with him. But this is what I know. If the Spirit gives understanding, and the Spirit dwells in you, and the Spirit dwells in me, And I've spent the week praying about what I must say to you. I can stand here with full authority. I can stand here with the utmost confidence and open God's Word and lay out before you God's message to this church today with full confidence that His people will get it and lost people He desires to save will hear it. Why? Oh, Brother Harold, how do you know that? I already read chapter 2 and I understand it. I already read chapter 1 and I understand it. I'm ready now to deal with the Spirit of God that empowers me to go do it. Somewhere between Pentecostalism and Presbyterianism is the truth. I meant what I said. I think them two groups got the Holy Spirit wrong on both ends of the spectrum. If you're Pentecostal and you're Presbyterian, I'm not apologizing. I'm inviting you to get right about a true understanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies of God. He doesn't testify of Himself. He doesn't make you flop around on the floor. He makes you glorify God and you do that intelligently. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum, the Holy Spirit is able to get His message to you. And it doesn't have to have a chapter and verse connected to it. Brother Harold, uh, you're advocating God still talks to people. You show me where God said He quit talking to people. I'm not saying He whispers in my ear. I'm not saying He makes me speak in another language. But I'm thoroughly convinced of this. God called me to leave a church I pastored for 14 years and loved and sent me off into another ministry. And I ain't got chapter or verse for it, but I know God was in it. Explain that, Mr. Presbyterian. Somewhere between those two extremes is our God and a right understanding of the third person of the Trinity. Well, Brother Harold, how do you arrive at a right understanding of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you some advice and I'm going to move. Quit reading books on the Holy Spirit and read a book given to us by the Holy Spirit. I'm so sick and tired of preachers recommending books to me. We got a book. Sixty-six of them, to be exact. They are all in complete harmony and accordance with one another. If we'll quit reading everybody's opinion on who God is and read the book God gave, we'll have a better understanding of who God is. Did the Spirit not promise to give us an understanding of all the things of God? The breadth, the length, the depth, all of it is available to you here before one commentary was ever written. we got to get back not only to the inerrancy of the Bible, the sufficiency of it as well. I'm telling you, if the children of God would get a hold of chapter 3, they'd look completely different than they claim to do in this country today. Where are we at on time? Where are we at in the book? Hey, we're halfway through. Time and book. I think I'm on pace to finish on time. Ask the Spirit to teach you. Say, say, Father, you've put me on this planet and you gave me a job to do. I'll throw my whole bookshelf in the trash if you'll help me to understand this one book that you've promised to give me an understanding of. I'm not against books. I'm going to give away about six or 700 of them at the Preachers of Grace Conference absolutely free of charge. But until you come to depend upon this book, Till you understand chapter 3, you really need to get out of those other books. Chapter 4. We see sovereignty in one, salvation in two, spirit in three, solidarity in chapter 4. What is the church without unity? Look at verse 3 with me of chapter 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How do you do that and stay home? I said, how do you do that and stay home? Well, if I don't have to see them, preacher, they're a whole lot easier to like. It didn't say endeavor to keep the peace. Sometimes the best way to keep the peace is to stay away. We've got a proverb for that. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. But before, before you go running off on I know how to have peace, I know how to have peace, the first command was keep the unity of the spirit. And the bond of peace. I got my feelings hurt. I'm just not going back down there. You just broke unity over your feelings. Boy, if I had time, I'd preach a whole sermon right here. But I think you get it. I'm trusting the Spirit of God dwells in you as He dwells in me. Chapter 4 deals with solidarity. Count how many times the word one is found in verses 4 through 6. For there's one body, one spirit even as you are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. I got seven ones and four alls. I don't know what numerology is. I don't know what that means, if anything. But if God said there's one seven times, I think you ought to be a part of that one. Well, I I don't Brother Harold, what, what are you talking about? He said there's one of all these things. I think you ought to be in them. Well, I want to be in five out of seven, Brother Harold. I don't agree with your view on baptism. I'm sorry, there's only one view on baptism. It's the biblical view. You don't get to pick and choose. These are not multiple choice. These are all of one. That's the kind of solidarity the church needs. Parts of the Bible doesn't mean that we're all cookie cutters. Look at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We're all different parts and we're all in one body. Look at verse 11 and 12. And he gave some to be, or he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These roles that are mentioned in verse 11 all have one objective in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, comma, it doesn't say and, for the perfecting of the or for the work of the ministry, Comma, doesn't say and, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, it's all three occur together. The saints are perfected. The work of the ministry is advanced. The body of Christ is edified. If The body of Christ is edified. The ministry must be working and the saints must be getting perfected. You can't have two without the other third. You can't have one without the three. Solidarity is what Paul is writing about. Verses 17 through 32 deal with uniformity. And I won't take time and read all 18 verses, but I'll point out verse 24. That you put off the new man, which is after God. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That you put on the new man. You see, Brother Harold, when you was talking about uniformity, I thought you was going to be talking about dress codes, dresses on women, ties on men, haircuts and shaves for all of us. Ladies need to get that hair off your shoulders, get it up in a bun. Men need to shave a little closer than you did. Beards are not for Christians. We all all ought to look the same in here. I know a pastor... He got mad at his church. Half of them homeschooled, half of them went to public school. He said, we're not doing this. We're either all going to homeschool or we're all going to go to public school. I said, buddy, the day you start telling me what I got to do with my kids will be the last day I ever darken the door of your church. There's an authority in the home that's higher than the pastor. His name is Dad. You may point out some flaws with one decision and some benefits with the other, but you don't have the right to regulate that level of uniformity any more than a pastor has the right to tell you how to cut your hair or what clothes you should wear. Well, Brother Harold, what kind of uniformity are you talking about? I'm talking about something you don't just manufacture. I'm talking about something that God does, putting on the new man. Look like a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. I tell you, I go out and eat lunch after church on Sundays just like you do if you're non-Sabbatarian. Non-Sabbatarian means you don't go out and eat lunch on Sundays. I don't normally throw out these big words, but occasionally I want to show you I've grown a little bit in my understanding of the Lord and His ways. When I go sit down at the Mexican restaurant, I can spot the church folk when they walk in the door. Can you? Sometimes I'll nudge my kid and go, They just rolled in from church. You can spot them by the way they dress. But watch them when they sit down at the table and see how they treat that young lady that's their waitress. Watch them how they treat the table next to them that might have a crying baby. You'll spot the new man a lot quicker by looking at his actions than his outsides. We all can put on a suit jacket. I put one on today. Shocked you, didn't I? Everybody's like, who's this guy? I said, hey, man, I'm a missionary. I live off public opinion. I got to dress up now. But you don't really know who I am until you get to know me. You got to look beyond a suit jacket. You've got to put on the new man. I'm talking about the uniformity that we're advocating here. It's not in externals. It's in internals. We ought not look like the Amish. We ought to look like the Almighty. I remember an old country song from the days of my youth said, I'm seeing my father in me. I think Paul Overstreet sang that. I use country because we know country better than we know our Bibles. I notice I walk the way he walks. I notice I talk the way he talks. I'm starting to see my father in me. Child of God, it should be true of you and your spiritual father as well. Okay. Solidarity. There's no long range Christians. You need to join in, suit up, find your place in the church, and get started. Number five, chapter five. Sincerity. Chapter 5 deals with sincerity. Is our unity real? Is our unity real? That's what needs to be decided. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I want to make it. There's a difference between being childlike and childish. Childish. Childlike is trusting. Childlike is sincere. Childish is petty. What we're told to be is childlike. Verses 2 through 17 deal with our walk in chapter 5. How we live. How we do our day to day. How we follow God. The way we conduct ourselves. Verses 18 through 21 deal with our worship. Tells us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart. This is personal worship. This takes place most often outside of the church. These are things that we do throughout our day. Verses 22 and 24 deal with wives. Man, you want me to read that out loud? Nobody brave enough to say, do it, preacher. A woman said, sure. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now one woman said, amen. And I gave you ample time to agree with the written word. I didn't give commentary. I just read it. You're not mad at me, ma'am. You're mad at the Bible. That's what it says. But if we read on, men are called to lay down their lives for their wives. When a man puts his wife first, and her, prote- her protection and care and nurturing in all things, she has no problem following his leadership. You see, verses 25 through 33 deal with wedlock. And wedlock is a picture of Christ and his church. Why do I say chapter 5 is about sincerity? I say it this way. You may fool us at church that you're united with us. That you understand the Spirit and salvation and sovereignty. But you're not fooling your wife. Wives, you may fool us, but you're not fooling your husbands. Parents, your kids know if you're a genuine Christian or not because they don't just see you on a Sunday morning during handshaking time when the choir lets out they see you at home when trouble breaks out they see how you respond the reason paul gives us all of this relate all this relational work between husband and wife is because this is the way christ and his bride the church come together And this relationship between the church and Christ is to be sincere and real, not rigid, not ritualistic. It's to be real, sincere. Christian homes are the true sign of a Christian church. Show me a world filled with Christian homes and I'll show you one where Christ is proclaimed throughout. I'm not talking about perfect homes. I'm talking about Christian homes where mom and dad believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have found grace to help in times of need. So we see sovereignty in chapter 1. We see salvation in chapter 2. We see the Spirit in chapter 3. We see solidarity in chapter 4. We see sincerity in chapter 5. How many points do I have again? I knew you'd remember that won't remember another word I say in this sermon. He had six points. I counted them off. Number six. Chapter six. Soldiers. 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 It's always been the case when new people arrive in church. They look around at all the deficits in the household of faith. And they say, boy, this church needs me. They really need my input, they need my opinions, they need my expertise, they need my efforts, they need my strength. And they'll come up to the pastor and they'll say, what do you need me to do around here? I'm ready to get started. It's never failed. I've heard it many times. One fellow showed up one Sunday. I went and visited him later in the week. He said, we're going to start a children's church at your church. I said, no, we're not. He said, yep, Said, me and my wife are going to show up and run it. You need us down there. We've done this before. We're going to come down there and start a children's church. I said, you're not coming down there if you think you're starting a children's church. He said, well, Brother Harold, what do you expect him to do? I'll tell you what I expected him to do. Go study chapters 1 through 5. Because that man disagreed with us on sovereignty. That man disagreed with us on salvation. That man disagreed with us in the Spirit. He didn't understand solidarity and he surely wasn't sincere. Why in the world would I make him a soldier? Why would I make him a soldier? The church is not made up of long rangers doing their own thing. When someone new shows up, you show us you know chapters 1 through 5 of Ephesians. We won't have any trouble finding place for you. Now it may be in Sunday school because that's where you need to be. But before we send you to the front lines... You need to learn sovereignty, salvation, a proper understanding of the Spirit, solidarity. And we need to see that you're sincere about it. Well, you shouldn't judge me like that. I've had a hundred wolves come through that back door over the years, and I'm not letting you slide in. You see, the pastor's job is to protect his sheep. And wolves show up dressed like sheep. And they don't like the pastor. And they don't even like the sheep. When someone shows up with big ideas and big plans, go study chapter 1 through 5. You get that down, we see you're sincere about it, come talk about chapter 6, being a soldier. Same goes for new Christians. Now that I'm saved, what should I do? Learn how you were saved. Learn who saved you. Learn what the Spirit has for you and get in the church and learn how to use it. When we look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6, it deals with authority. Children, their parents, workers, slaves, masters. When we get in verse 10 down through verse 16, it goes from authority to armor. It's funny to me that armor didn't end up in chapter 1. I'm God, I saved you, I got all this power, now I got a whole bunch of material for you to understand and at the end you get your armor. Wait a minute, I need my armor up here because I got to learn all this. You're not going to take any direct blows from Satan if you think you saved yourself. What do you want us to do today, Satan? Let me put you in the picture of the demon round table. What do you want us to do today, Satan? Uh, hey, there's a guy up here who just got saved. No, he thinks he saved himself. He's good. Let him waller in that for a while. He's still taking credit for what God done. Oh, oh, oh over, over here's a guy. He, he understands God saved him, but he's not sharing the gospel. He's doing what we do. We know who God is, but we don't share the gospel. He's on our side. Well, there's a guy over here, he, he thinks he should share the gospel, but he has absolutely no power because he doesn't think God has equipped him to do it. He's sitting down, let's not bother with him. Now, here's a Christian over here that thinks he's got the Spirit and everything else, but he's out here doing his own thing. He doesn't want to be a part of the church. He don't want to have any man over him. <laughs> Let him start his own cult. He's on our side. Here's a guy with all the externals. Nothing in the heart. He's a legalist. We like them kind too. But Satan over here is a guy that fully understands all five chapters and he's fixing to go out into the battle line. That's the guy we want. That's the guy that gets a direct assault from our enemy. You see, when you're on the fence about all these other five chapters, you're no threat. Have you already forgot the secret code? Remember this? This was yes and this was no. And if I'm saying something that's true, you can nod your head up and down a little bit and I'll know you got it and I won't belabor my point. But if you sit there looking cross eyed at me, I'll slow down. I can preach slower than anybody you've ever heard. I got a camel's hump. I can miss lunch. You want to see who wins this? Am I right? If you're wrong on these first five chapters, are you really a threat to our adversary, the devil, who's a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy? If you don't have the first five chapters right, is he worried about you? That's better. You just needed a pep talk. A little wake up and you're back with me. No, but let me tell you something. If you get a proper understanding of the Spirit of God, You know how salvation works and you think God's in charge of every day. You've locked yourself and you found a place to serve in a local church. And you're committed and covenanted together with another body of believers. And it ain't just a show you're trying to impress your girlfriend or your wife with. It's real. You better put that helmet on tight. You better buckle up that breastplate of armor better not walk out of your house without that shield of faith. Because you are now on the front lines of a war. The church is not a playground. It's a battleground. We have an adversary and he wants it. But praise be to God, he's enlisted some soldiers to defend it. I read a book by A.T. Pearson, a biography of A.T. Pearson, old Presbyterian preacher. When Charles Spurgeon died, he was in London, and he filled the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle for two years after Spurgeon's death. was baptized by Thomas Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's son. The Methodists kicked him out for that. The title of his biography has always stuck with me. Occupy. Until I come. That was his motto. Occupy until I come. I look at us as a church, as a group of soldiers left on a planet. And he says, Hold the fort till I come back with the cavalry. I like it. Well, you say, Brother, here, we're outnumbered. I don't care. Help's on the way. Oh, brother, hell, the world, the the war seems to be going bad. It's all right, I got orders from headquarters. We're staying right here. I wasn't just left in the defensive. Not only do I have armor, but I have armament. You see, in verse, what is it, 17 of chapter 6? Look at it and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm not on the defensive, I'm on the offensive. I've got a weapon, and that weapon's the Word of God. Verses 18 through 20 deal with the asking. Let me wrap this up. If you want to be a soldier, You've got to go through some training. You don't just sign on the dotted line, raise your right hand, swear to up, hold the Constitution, and be under the. It's been a long time since I took that oath, under the president, basically. And then go off to war. They send you off to basic training. You learn the basics. Then they send you off to a technical school where you learn the specifics of your task. An infantry school or a cavalry school. Once you learn those tasks, you're now equipped to go into battle. As you go through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, as Pastor Joseph leads us through that, he's equipping you for battle. Understand it, embrace it, and then take up your sword and go act like it. I served in the military we didn't have any wars going on somebody said how in the world did you do that I said nobody wanted to fight when I was in word got out no it it was the providence of God that we were not sent anywhere that's not the case for the church today we've been placed on the battleground We've been placed in the field. Verses 1 and 2 deal with our learning. Chapters 1 and 2 deal with our learning. Learn salvation, learn sovereignty. Not in the classical reform sense. Just learn that God's in control. Learn how salvation works. You don't have to get the order of Saluda or whatever. You don't have to get the order and all that right. Just learn how you were saved. So you can tell other people how to be saved. Learn. Chapter 3 tells us to lean. Lean not under your own understanding. Lean on the Spirit of God. Lean on the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. Chapters 4 and 5 deal with our living. How we live in a wicked world and how we live with our wives and husbands. Chapter 6. Keeping with the ale theme. Lock and load. Lock and load. We're in a battle. I want this church to be victorious. I want this area to be influenced by the gospel of Christ. Whether they believe it or not, I want them to hear it. Can't force them to believe it. But I can make it available to them. That only goes out if you have an army full of believers who understand all six chapters the book of Ephesians do you understand all six has the spirit of God helped you today you say yeah yeah he has you say brother Harold I didn't understand a thing in the world you said that was all just Christianese to me then I'm going to make appeal to you before I step down and Rod comes to sing you are born a sinner just like I was all of us in our times past were sinners And this is the most boring time in your life to sit and listen to a guy talk about God when you don't know Him. You have blinded eyes and deaf ears. And I'm talking to you now on the prayer and hope that God would open your ears and open your eyes so that you would see the real condition of your soul. You're born a sinner, separated from God, unable to come to God, not looking for God. You're looking for God like robbers look for cops. You're hiding from God because of your shame and the sin that you committed. But I've got good news. Our God's looking for you. And he sends preachers out to declare his word and to invite people to come unto him. And this is how you come to Christ. You come to him on two terms. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that look like, preacher? I'm not familiar with your religious terms. Repentance is a turning away from your sin, a recognition of wrong and an admission of guilt. You say, Father, I've been sinning since birth. Sin separates me from you and sin signs my fate and death. I don't want to live as a sinner. I come to you. But Lord, I know those sins need to be paid for. And I know I still wrestle and struggle with sin every day. So I come to you not just in repentance, saying I'll do better, I'll try harder. I come to you also in faith. Faith that what Christ did by coming to the earth and living sin free, having no sin and not deserving death, but dying on the cross and suffering the most brutal punishment in death as a sacrifice and atonement for my sins. And Lord, I believe... That you laid on Christ the punishment that I deserved. And therefore Christ is my sin bearer. And by the basis of the work of Christ, I believe that what He did is sufficient for you to declare me right. So Lord, I enter into your presence in repentance of my sins and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Save me or I die. You go to God on those terms. You can get up and walk away. Knowing that our God has promised to save people that respond in that manner. Where are you at? Chapter 1, Chapter 3. What's your weakness? Chapter 5. I say, preacher, I'm sitting at the end of chapter 5. Get on the battle line. Lock and load. Let's go. The world needs to hear from a real Christian. Not a real Christian's you. Let's stand. Ron, come lead us in a hymn.